We beseech thee, O Lord, pour thy grace into our hearts, that as we have known the incarnation of thy Son, Jesus Christ, by the message of an angel, so by his cross and passion we may be brought unto the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Love that prayer. Uh, I'm going to start with two quotes from St. John Maximovich, uh, who is now considered an American saint, and he's a 20th century saint, so he lived within the lifetimes of most of us. Uh, anyway, he said this. This is partly in reference to Judgment Day. Remember in Judgment Day, some of the scenes in the Bible, books were opened and everybody was judged. He said, when the books are opened, it will become clear to all that the roots of all vices are in man's soul. Here is a drunkard, a fornicator. Some may think that when the body dies, the sin dies as well. No, the inclination was in the soul, and to the soul, the sin was sweet. And he goes on to say, if the soul is not repented that sin and has not become free of it, it will come to the dread judgment with the same desire for the sweetness of sin. Wow. Now, I want to just talk about a few things. We've been talking about repentance and even in, in the, the culmination of repentance, confession. Uh, and uh, today and the next time, which is two weeks from now, I want to talk about self-examination. And today I want to look at the self concept of self-examination in a sort of a general concept, the general theme, if you will. Uh, and the next time we'll look at it in detail, <laughs> everything you didn't want to know about yourself and more. There's a tendency to think, when, uh, among, there's a tendency among non-Orthodox people to think, and, and many of us bring this baggage in when we come into Orthodoxy, that Orthodox piety is too self-focused and works-oriented. Uh, and even perhaps too negative, that we stress sin too much. Uh, I actually don't think we stress it enough once we come to understand what it's all about. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember I used, to, I used to really be critical about Orthodoxy uh, because if you look at pictures of the clergy in non-Orthodox communities. They're always smiling, you know. <laughs> oh, he looks pretty nice. I think I'll go there. And the Orthodox clergy are always... <laughs> so you can get the wrong impression. Uh, now I don't like to smile either. <laughs> I prefer not to, at, at, at least when the picture-taking is occurring uh, and in, for many in Orthodoxy, there's a reason for that, and it has to do with the spiritual struggle. It, it, is, it is a job, and, and it is work. And yet, you can say that we're self-focused and works-oriented. We're not really works-oriented. We just understand that we have to respond to God in more ways than just believing. It's, it's active. That belief in itself is an active thing. Uh, and this is a negative. I tried to tell you that... Self-examination and confession is a positive thing. Think positive no matter what. Think positive. It is a positive thing. It is a good thing to look into our own souls and see how far short of the mark we have fallen. It is a good thing. The enemy doesn't want us looking because we're his as long as we don't look. So the first question that has to be answered is, what then is sin? Well, we think of sin as, you know, I did something really heinously wrong. 
And God is really hacked off up there. He's up there. Rooney, you've had it, buddy. I can't wait for the next chance to get you. Uh, well, if that's the case, I would have been doomed long ago. Long ago. Sin really, in both Greek and Hebrew, means, that you, and it's funny, two languages that are entirely different linguistic groups have words that have the same meaning. And it means to fall short of a mark, to shoot at a target and miss it. So... We have to, we, so our best efforts can be sin. We think of sin as it, it's not just something breaking the rules, but malicious. So if I meant well, it's not really sin. You know, I've told you that cartoon, the Farside cartoon. Farside has great Christian cartoons, by the way. Uh, and one of them shows these two guys being led off to the fiery pit uh, by demons. Uh, and and one, of them, one of them has said something, and the one behind him says, of course you meant well. We all meant well. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Sin is falling short of the mark, and that may include our best efforts. For those of you who are married, know how it is to say something to your spouse with all good, especially you guys, to, to say something to your, your spouses with all good intentions, and it backfires. And suddenly the person you love and cherish the most has been deeply grieved by something you said, and it, you're going, huh? There's an old thing about that. Men in relationships are like a bug on the wheel of a car, that the car starts to move. And as the tire's going around and the bug is about to be squashed, he goes, huh? <laughs> well, that's sort of the way we are about things like this. So sin is falling short. And falling short is equal to then the concept of separation. Separation. And punishment, because the Old Testament is filled with examples of God's anger was kindled and these kinds of things uh, and the notion of punishment really comes down to letting us suffer the consequences of our actions. When we demand going our own way, God's going to let us have our way. And how often do we do it? And what is sin? If it's falling short of the mark, it's also a demanding of our own way because our ways just don't measure up. And the Lord, in order to teach us, is going to let us suffer the consequences of our actions. And I, you know, sometimes I think, I'm so tired of learning the hard way. But... For someone like me, that may be the only way I get, I, I know these things, you know. So, I don't know. Punishment equals letting us suffer the consequences of our actions. The result of this kind of separation, and, and, and I'm saying this because in orthodoxy, come to understand sin as is first and foremost separating ourselves from God. It's an errant action that we take, an errant way of responding to God that's really going to separate us from him. That's the culmination. You know, when we, when we wonder our, why our prayers are not being met and we spend all of our lives uh, distracted by our trivial little things and not by praying and being faithful, we can't ask ourselves, why am I not seeing the same results as St. Raphael of Brooklyn or St. John Maximovich or somebody like that? Because they were devoted and... and and focused. And we aren't. We are suffer the consequences of our actions. The result is that there is then no knowledge of God or wrong knowledge of God. By wrong I mean created in our own image, idolatry. How can we how can we be separated from God and know him? And yet he wants us to know him. Or, and this is added to it, 
no true or deep knowledge of self. So there are two parts. Knowledge of God results in knowledge of self. And the, vice ver- the opposite is true, vice versa. Knowledge of self opens us to knowledge of God. And, it's knowledge, and the two are one dependent on the other. God is going, as, as we come to know him, he's going to show us ourselves. And as we come to know ourselves and accept it as true, we're going to know something more about him. It's in that context. One or the other on its own isn't going to work. It's both. So we need, we need to look at it that way. God wants to correct that status, so that falling short. And the first step is awareness of self as we enter in. I believe. Okay, well, <laughs> you, know, you know, Peter believed too. Peter, the Lord said, what, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he denied him three times. Uh-huh. And so <clears throat> Peter denies the Lord, and yet at the end of John's Gospel, St. John's Gospel, you hear the story of Jesus binding Peter's hands and he tells him when you were young you went where you would but when you were older someone will bind you and take you where you do not wish to go now you can say that's because he was crucified later on in life and it refers to that and it's a prophecy of that but actually there's more to it than that that is when we go to follow christ he will lead us where often we don't want to go or things in directions in which we never expected it and it just is what it is, and it's always good. And the knowledge and experience of God is always present in that experience. That's why we must go. We mustn't demand that it be our way, because he might let us have our way. And I, I can tell you from experience what results when you get your own way. All my regrets go back to that kind of stuff. So the first step is awareness of self, as we truly are. We truly are. We learn, you sort of alluded to this in your sermon, maybe. Um, we world's ills. You know, it's like the world, here I am, I've got it all together, and the world out mess. Well, it is. Well, that's because there are a bunch of people out there just like me, and I'm a part of it, and I'm a mess. And I can't correct you, I can correct me. And what I have to say to you, unless I'm busy working on me, makes no sense because I don't know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm talking about because I've been working on this a long time, and it's a, it's a never-ending battle, isn't it? So... We are the problem of the world's ill. So, that, so resolving the issue starts with us. Remember, I mentioned last, I mentioned last time in the times before, the way of the journey starts with the small things. Do the small things faithfully. So looking inwardly at ourselves and beginning to work on those in cooperation with God's grace is such a small thing. Go home and love your spouse. Truly, not just sentimentally. Truly. Go home and love your kids and put them before the football game or whatever else is on. The, at the national tournament. Yeah, I know these New Orleans Saints people, you know. 
they're a questionable bunch to begin with. That word saints doesn't go. <laughs> he can go back where he came from, right? <laughs> so we are the problem with the world's ills. We have to deal with ourselves. And that's what self-examination is, or even repentance. Remember something else, and I've mentioned this, and that is that we have free will, and God does not want to violate that. Now, some people in American Christianity say there's no, that our free will is totally hindered by sin, and that's not quite correct. Even the gospel, Jesus says, when he calls the disciples and tells them to go into deeper levels of the faith, he said, do not even the Pharisees do the same well, if they have no free wills, then how can they do anything? So it's not all enforced. We have some say in it. And God respects that. And he waits for us to invite him in. Remember, remember for those of you who came out of Protestantism years ago, I don't hear this much anymore, but it used to be a time when people would say, invite Jesus into your hearts. In fact, I think what got me on the journey was reading the four spiritual laws, and that was one of them. That was one of them. And I actually did it, just as they said. To invite one into God's heart. And self-examination, self-examination is a form of inviting Christ into our hearts. If we're willing to look at ourselves as we really are, it's like saying, I'm opening myself to you. Here I am. Warts and all, and he's probably up there scratching the eyes. I see a lot of warts, a lot of things that need to be straightened out. It's easy to invite God once and then live as we always lived, which is what happens for many of us. But God not, wants it not just initially, but a constant repetition of the action, and that's what orthodox piety is. I want you to remember two things about the Gospels, and you should note this as you, and really it's true of the faith altogether, but you can see it in the two of these Gospels. In St. Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus is portrayed as a contrast to Moses in the law. And so the contrast, or there's even a book out on it, on the I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, I had to read it when I was in seminary, and it was, I didn't, didn't think anything of it then, but now I see the wisdom behind it. But there's a contrast between Moses and the Pharisees and the law uh, and Jesus as the fulfillment of the law. So in essence, uh, in this Gospel of Matthew, the way he presents it, the way St. Matthew presents the Gospel account, Jesus is drawing people to see beyond the limitations of Pharisaism in the law to see something greater. In St. John's Gospel, if you notice, every time Christ has a conversation with somebody, he is not communicating with them. He's always beyond them. It's as if he's saying, come a little deeper. And what does Matthew, what is, how does, what words did Matthew portray of Christ? Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden. Come unto me. Come on. And St. John uh, in, the, in, the, in the Revelation, come up here and I will show you. So there's an invitation and we are inviting as well. We are inviting him to come into us so that we may be drawn more deeply into the mystery of his being. Hence, self-examination leads us to God and to a true knowledge of self. It's an opening of self to God, opening of self to God and to self. So some advice. And, and by the way, 
The self-examination was originally in an Anglican prayer book called the St. Augustine Prayer Book. And we used it in the Western Rite Vicariate many years ago, except the problem was it was always produced in limited production periodically. So when it came out, if you didn't find out about it and get it 20 copies, you didn't get them. And if you waited two weeks, you didn't get them because everybody around the country wanted them. So finally, one of our priests who had been brought up in the tradition of the St. Augustine Prayer Book got sick of this problem. And he, had, he, he revised the book uh, and had it printed as the St. Ambrose Prayer Book, which we have in the bookstore, by the way. I fully expect that all four copies will be gone. But now they can produce them as we need them and not be dependent on the publishing company. Yes, ma'am? Oh, you do? Okay, good, good. Well, now, he did a couple of things. One is that I think the, the one in the St. Augustine prayer book is better. And if you go online, you might find it. They actually are producing, it was in blue. It's actually coming out in a red copy now. Uh, but the Saint, it's exactly the same uh, self-examination with one exception, and that is the author in the Orthodox version says, have you done such and such? I don't like that. In the, in the Anglican version, it's just sin is. And we have to make our own conclusions as of whether we did them. Now, there's a reason for the Orthodox way, and that's another story. So, anyway, when you get a copy of it, and if, hopefully I'm, I will have copies for you next week, but if you have the books, either of them, look in this, at the self-examination. Number one, read it. Read through it. This is helpful. We, we don't want to come to the confession uh, or even before God in repentance and not know what we're talking about. Why am I here? Sometimes I want to, don't you sometimes want to ask people that come to confession, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? Uh, we, we were on a trip one time, and there was a young lady who was serving our table, and she had an Eastern European accent, and I think she was, for some reason we knew she had been Orthodox once upon a time, and so we introduced ourselves to her and talked to her, and she was now, in, she'd been in the United States a number of years, and she was now going to some Protestant church, uh, and I asked her why, and she said because she had been brought up unchurched, and then when communism fell, that she, and I think this has been so long ago, I can hardly remember this, and I hope I got it right, but anyway, she, that she was convinced by a family member to go to church. The only church in, in the country was, was Orthodox. So then she was told that she had to make her confession. So she went to, her conf to make her confession, and she was really offended when the priest started, as she put it, prying into the personal aspects of her life. And I think he was, she came in there and didn't have anything to confess because she didn't know how to do it. And he was saying, well, do you, did you do this? Did you do that? And when you have somebody, when someone comes in, you... One can ascertain what the general sins are going to be by the age. You know, you're all laughing because you know it's true. We get different kinds. Of, you know, as we get older, we get judgmental and hypocritical. You know, that kind of thing. So somebody then you can talk about sins of judgment. Uh, if it's a young person, you can talk about fornication and things like that. We just they're just different age groups. We do different things. So I think that she left the church because she didn't understand. So. That's why I like the one in the St. Augustine prayer. It just says it up front. And the thing is, is that to read it and note what applies to ourselves. What do I do here? Not, well, I hope that so-and-so is reading this. 
Oh, Father Mark got this one. <laughs> That's what he's saying about me. <laughs> anyway, know what applies to ourselves. Don't become mired in, de in debate. And by debate, I mean over what it means. Well, you know, I want to take exception to that word. Get over it. Just let it go. I guarantee you there will be things in the St. Augustine prayer book in, in, in the self-examination that you will not think the first time you read through it, it's sin. It is. That's okay. Just let it go. Don't, don't bog down over it. You know, I, when I was in college, I hated multiple choice tests. Now, what college student hates multiple choice tests? You know why I hated them? Because I could argue the meaning of any question. So one plus one equals one, two, three, four, and I could argue, at least to my own logic, that one, three, or four was the correct answer. So I would do really well on essay tests and 50% on multiple choice. I couldn't help myself. Uh, so I could argue anything then. And it took me a long time to learn how to take things at face value. So what we want to do is take this at face value. What applies to me? If it doesn't apply to me, let it go. We're not going to do all these things. So we can be distracted. I think the devil's at work. He gets us, well, that's not a sin, and you shouldn't even be reading this thing. Okay, <laughs> Who wants us to do that? Who wants us not to look within and see ourselves? So there will come a day when we will understand that's why we need to read it again several times. And we mustn't become distracted from the task at hand, that is the debate, which leads us to become distracted. Uh, the enemy wants us distracted. And when we're doing it, we should list the sins we find out about ourselves, we find about ourselves. Should list them. Make a list. When you come to confession, bring a list with you if you have to. Don't rely on your memory. It isn't going to work. It just isn't going to work. You know, we all get in there and we go, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and then I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember anything. So, so then the priest says, well, did you do this, this, or that? And we go, ah, oh, he's prying. <laughs> so, so list them. Bring the list and go down the list. Now, the, the, the self-examination is divided into what are called the seven deadly sins, uh, and in orthodoxy, the preference is uh, the grievous sins because they grieve God, and ultimately they grieve us, and we don't even know it. Uh, and there's a whole other argument for whether there are deadly or versus venial sins. I think all sins are potentially deadly, and that's what we find out about orthodoxy. They separate us from God. The seven sins are pride, anger, envy, covetousness, gluttony, lust, and sloth. But this concept is not new, it's not recent, very old. The earliest version of it comes to us, in, the first version that I know of in written form comes to us from the late 4th, early 5th century from St. John Cassian, who had been an Eastern Rite monk, an Eastern monk, who moved to France uh, and was consulted by a number of the monasteries of the Western tradition as to what he had learned and what they could glean from him in Eastern monasticism. And he came out with eight versions of it. Pride, anger, dejection, covetousness, gluttony, fornication, 
in, in place of dejection, acidy, which is like sloth, and vainglory. So vainglory and pride are really two parts of the same thing. So it really comes down to seven, although he listed eight. And what I want to do is to take the same, uh, take the, the prayer, those two self-examinations and just tell you these definitions. As I do this, I want you to think about yourselves. And don't confess anything and don't raise any hands. I don't want to know. I, this is his responsibility. <laughs> Remember, I'm just the flunky who hangs on around here. So he does all the dirty work. So keep that in mind. Please, please. Anyway, pride. Putting self in the place of God is the center and objective of our life or of some department thereof. It is the refusal to recognize our status as creatures dependent on God for our existence and placed by him in a specific relationship to the rest of his creation. We do that all the time. We're the center of the universe, right? Anger, open rebellion against God or our fellow creatures. Its purpose and desire is to eliminate any obstacle to our our self-seeking, to retaliate against any threat to our security, to avenge insult or injury to our person. Envy, dissatisfaction with our place in God's order of creation manifested in begrudging his gifts and vocation to others. Covetousness, refusal to respect the integrity of other creatures expressed in the inordinate accumulation of material things and the use of other persons for our personal advantage or in the quest for status, power, or security at their expense. Don't, please resist the temptation to think, I hope so-and-so is listening. (laughs) Gluttony, overindulgence of natural appetites for food and drink, and by extension, the inordinate quest for pleasure or comfort. Lust, Lust, here the definition is only about sexuality, but it's more than that. Misuse of sex for personal gratification, debasing it from the holy purpose for which God has given it to us. Look at TV. How they continue to debase it, and they want us to think along those lines. Sloth, refusal to respond to our opportunities for growth, service, or sacrifice. These are all very general definitions. And already, I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble. We are. And yet, this knowledge is good. From here, God builds. From here, we begin. Remember the, the, the Jesus of Nazareth movie, TV series, and the last thing at the, when he sees that the tomb is empty, Zerah, the fictional character who represents the Sanhedrin, says, now it begins. That's at the end of the movie. Now it begins. So, This knowledge is good. This is what we have become. Knowing it and admitting it, we're now open to God. We're pliable material for him to work. Now, I'm going to do a nasty thing and read you something from St. John Climacus uh, and not dress the subject for two weeks and leave you hanging. You know, it's sort of like a season-ending show. But this, this is a story that I love from the Ladder of Divine Ascent from St. John Climacus. This is a 5th to 6th century A.D. monastic in the East. And this is a story, so don't bog down anything. Just listen. In a monastery, I once saw a judgment that was truly terrible. 
It was made by a superior who was good as a man and as a shepherd, and it happened while I was staying there. A robber sought admission to the monastic life, and that excellent superior, that man of healing, ordered him to take seven days of complete rest so that he might get to know the kind of life in the place. After a week, the superior sent for him and asked him privately if he would like to live there among them. When the other man showed genuine enthusiasm for this, the, the, the abbot asked him what wrong he had done in the world, and on observing this ready admission of everything, he tested him further. I want you to tell this to the brethren. See, that's why I say don't take this seriously. We don't want any of you standing up in front of the church and telling us all this stuff. Um, since the other man had really come to hate his wrongdoing and was not troubled by shame, he promptly agreed. I will confess in the middle of Alexandria itself if you wish, he said. And so the superior gathered his flock into the church. There were 230 of them. And when the holy service was in progress and the gospel had been read for it was Sunday, this irreproachable convict was led out by some of the brethren. He had his hands tied behind his back. He was wearing a hair shirt and ashes had been sprinkled on his head. Everyone was amazed and there were some shouts for it was not clear what was happening. But when the robber appeared at the doors of the church, that very charitable monastic superior said loudly to him, Stop! You are not worthy to come in here. The robber was astounded by the voice of the superior coming from the sanctuary. He swore afterwards that he thought he heard thunder and not a human voice. I've had that experience. Scary. At once he fell on his face and he trembled and shook with fear. While he lay on the ground, moistening the floor with his tears, the marvelous healer turned to him, trying everything so as to save him and to give everyone else an example of salvation and true humility. Before all, he exhorted him to describe in detail everything he had done. Terrified, the robber confessed all, sins of the flesh, natural and unnatural with humans and with beasts, poisonings, murders, and many other deeds too awful to hear or to set down on paper. Everyone was horrified. But when he had finished his confession, the superior allowed him to be given the habit at once and to be included in the ranks of the brethren. I was amazed by the wisdom of that holy man, and when we were alone, I asked him why he had contrived such an extraordinary spectacle. See, he saw it as contriving. <laughs> For two reasons, this true healer replied. First, so that this man, having confessed now in shame, might in the future be spared fresh remorse for, his, for these deeds, which is what happened. He did not rise up from the floor, Brother John, until he had been granted forgiveness of all his sins. Have no doubt about this. Indeed, one of the brethren who was present told me he saw a terrifying figure holding a book and a pen and crossing off each sin as it was confessed. But there was a second reason. There are some among the brethren who have not confessed their sins, and I want to encourage them to make their confession. What a story. We're, we're not facing anything nearly as threatening, nearly as threatening. So we can look at ourselves and find joy in seeing how wretched we are, because once we admit that, we get healed. And that's where we're going in this life. So anyway. I may, the, the more I live in this faith, the more I come to understand everything that Father's talking about, of the self-examination, it really is this. We say this term, and I've spoken with a few of you of this in conversation at times, thought it might help you. This is a good time for us all to hear it. 
speak in our faith of this beautiful, beautiful word that is all about our salvation as a gift from God, and it's the word illumination. You know, as I know, our Lord is so less concerned with the actions that come out of us than where the actions are coming from, from within us. Because when that gets healed, the actions evolve, they change, they transform because of that healing. I'm going to tell you right now, in my life, there are still sins I deal with that I don't know why. We are blind to those dark corners in our soul. We of our humanity and in our fallenness, cannot see these things. <clears throat> Self-examination, inviting Christ in, is the opening up of our hearts and giving an opportunity for his illumination. Because what he does in those moments is, in that dark room where I can't see anything, you know what illumination means? Flashlight. All of a sudden, I can see things in me that I could have never seen without that illumination. And now that I see it, it makes sense. And now I can take what I see and offer it to him. Our salvation begins and ends with him. But the self-examination is our cooperation with our healing. Let me promise you this. Not once in my life has he ever illuminated in that darkness more than I could handle. If I saw all the reasons for all my sins at once, I'd be a wreck. I'd be cracked. He's merciful. The glory of self-examination. Now, Father was talking about it, drawing us to God, drawing us near to God, is that God truly uses that illumination to show us why we don't. That's when you can all. I noticed um, just sort of an example here. If you're if you're in the church, you know you all know there are some days when the sun comes through those top windows, and if you're in the wrong pew, you get it right in the face. <laughs> For some of us, it's because we're so holy, right, that, that the light is shining down. But you all seen this scenario before. You can be sitting in there in the regular light, no sunlight coming through directly. And every, the air looks clear. And the minute the sun's ray shines through, you see all the dust particles in, the, in there. You've seen it. Well, that's the way our sin is. Once we invite God in, he begins to lighten up the road. Then we see all the dirt in there. And there's a whole lot. And I, sometimes I see all that dust in the air, and I think, you know, I think I'd just rather not know <laughs> what I'm breathing up here, you know? <laughs> so, so... That's the way we feel. We don't really want to know. I remember a Protestant minister, minister named Bob Mumford, in one moment of piety, he said in his prayers, he said, God, show me to me. And so he went through this little episode where the Lord began to reveal to himself good vision of himself. And he said he finally had to tell God to stop because he couldn't handle it anymore. So, you know. Father Mark is correct. God is not going to give us in something like this more than we can handle. So we need not fear it. We need to embrace it and move into it. And it's one of the earmarks of successful, if you can call it that, discipleship. Saints are all confessing people. Anyway, that's it. Thank you.